Judges chapter number 11. Now, we'll not read the, the whole story of Jephthah, but the, the message tonight is from the story of Jephthah. And um, so I, I want you to join me, if you would, just a, a handful of verses, and you can follow along. I'll, I'll read. You may remain seated, and I'll read and ask you just to follow along, and then we'll jump right into the message. We're going all the way down to Judges 11 and verse number 34. Those of you who are familiar with the story of Jephthah will remember he made a vow, and I would consider it certainly a rash vow, but he made a vow to the Lord. And uh, in the vow, he said, Lord, whatever comes out of the house when I return home from battle, I'll sacrifice it uh, to you. And, uh, and uh, he, he, I'll offer it up uh, and, uh, to you. And, and so uh, he comes home, and he wasn't expecting his only child, his daughter, to meet him when he came home. And we find in verse 34, And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. Now, the message comes from her response in verse 36. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, dealing with disappointment. Dealing with disappointment. Father in heaven, please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let me be a blessing to this great church, these good people. May I, Lord, honor the, the, the task at hand uh, while the pastor is away being used of thee. And Lord, just give the folk that are here tonight exactly what we need from your word, and communicate it clearly through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 12, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. My wife and I uh, were married in 1992, just finished 30 years of marriage. And uh, we, when we talked uh, as a young married couple, we, we always thought we would have several kids, perhaps a large family, wasn't something that uh, uh, you were dogmatic about, but just we were certainly open to that and would be happy if the Lord uh, did that in our lives. And um, it took us a little longer than we had uh, expected to, uh, to, uh, to have a child on the way. Uh, but after a number of years of marriage, the Lord blessed us and uh, our first little daughter, Abigail, <clears throat> was on the way. And uh, uh, things went very well in the pregnancy, and she was born, and uh, just as, uh, looked just as healthy as she could possibly be. About six hours after she was born, uh, Dr. Robert Robbins uh, in our town of Ashboro uh, was taking her blood pressure and then started uh, spent a little more time with her. And he said, look, I have some concerns. I hear a heart murmur. 
And uh, I would recommend that you send her on to Brenner's Children's Hospital in Winston-Salem, a Baptist hospital network, and, and have some further testing done. So the first, her first day in the world, Mama stayed in the bed at Randolph Hospital in Ashboro, and little Abigail went up to Winston-Salem. They did some more testing and sent word back that she had a heart disease called Tetralogy of Fallot, characterized by pulmonary stenosis and some holes in her heart. And uh, they would discover some other things, too, when they would go later to do surgery. And they told us that when she hit a significant growth spurt, she would likely need open-heart surgery, maybe around age 9 or 10. After a doctor visit or two, they moved that up to age 4 or 5. And after either the third or fourth follow-up visit, they said it needs to be done as soon as possible. And so at just a little over two months of age, she was taken then to Brenner's Children's Hospital, and they cut her chest open and laid her chest cavity open and repaired those things that were broken in her heart. However, afterward, her heart just wouldn't beat on its own again. It had been so weakened by, I guess, the surgery and so forth, though everything was repaired. It just wouldn't start beating back on its own. At that time, she lived longer on the ECMO circuit. Some of you might be familiar with that. Takes the blood out of your body straight from your heart. Pulls the blood out of your body, oxygenates it, puts it back in your body. It was pretty new back then in, uh, in 1997. And uh, uh, she lived uh, just uh, 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 23 days, 23 days on that machine. And uh, uh, she was alert. It was just beautiful. And she had big, wide eyes. And... I'd stand on one side, and my wife here would stand on the other side, and she'd hold on to our finger, you know, and she'd look back like this, you know, like, y'all don't go anywhere now. And it was wonderful, precious, precious times. And uh, uh, in an effort to get her to, 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 to do the work on her own, uh, we made the decision to give her every chance we could, to pump her full of medications, took her off the machine, and, uh, and it looked pretty good uh, for several hours, and we were excited and hopeful, and then the stats began to go down, and about 3 o'clock that afternoon, she went to be with the Lord. <clears throat> My younger sister, Rebecca uh, Cox, and you might know Mike and Rebecca Cox, uh, was 14 years old at the time, and she was there that day that Abigail died at, uh, at uh, uh, three months of age. And they allowed us to keep her in uh, the room with us. There was uh, in the pediatric intensive care there at Brenner's Children, there was a, a room that was vacant at the time. And, uh, and they allowed us to go in and they, they, uh, she had, I think it was 26 or 7 tubes and wires and a couple pacemakers and all kinds of things, uh, feeding her, breathing, and all that. And so it took all that out and wrapped her up, you know, for us and brought her in and we were able to hold her for several hours. And it was such a precious time. I'm certain some of you have experienced exactly what I speak of. But it's just a wonderful time to be able to hold her once more. And my little, my little sister, 14, it's a big deal for a 14-year-old. And I said, uh, I said uh, Rebecca, would you like to hold her? And she said, I would. And she held Abigail for a while. After that came a series of disappointments in our lives over the next several years. The Lord gave us a wonderful, uh, the, next, uh, the next year, in fact, the Lord gave us our oldest daughter now, uh, Brooke. And she gave us our grandson last year. So I'm a peepaw, and I got pictures if you want to see later. But anyway, uh, but, um, but anyway, uh, God, the Lord gave us uh, uh, Brooke, and what a joy and what a blessing uh, to our lives. And uh, God's time was perfect there. After that was a series of disappointments that was spanned quite a few years. 
uh, we would eventually have a total of five different miscarriages that would follow, and then one of those being a set of twins. And those of you who have been to the ultrasound, you've already heard the heartbeat, you've gotten excited, you know, at the doctor's office, and you go for the, the ultrasound, and the ultrasound technician usually is like, oh, there's a lot of movement here, or uh, I think we, definitely we have a boy, you know, those kinds of things. And, uh, uh, and, 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 but when it gets quiet during the ultrasound, after a time or two, you know, and I remember several of those occasions glancing at my wife as she lay in the bed, nothing to say except look at each other and feel the disappointment. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Just a handful of months ago, my little sister took them six years to have their, no, I'm sorry, Took them 12 years to have their first daughter. And Tessa, uh, Tessa bears her nickname. She's a sweetheart. She's an amazing gal. And uh, she's uh, uh, just uh, six years old, seven, forgive me. Uh, but anyway, uh, 12 years they waited, and God brought that joy into their life. And, of course, they had hoped to have other children. And after, after six years, uh, my sister was expecting, and expecting a set of twins, in fact. And boy, the anticipation, the excitement, and the hope that came with that. Early in the pregnancy, they found that one of the twins had not made it. Some amazing things happened in there. Uh, the twin that survived was beating, its heart was pumping actually for both, and was still continuing to feed blood and, uh, to, the, to the other twin and, uh, uh, who, had, uh, uh, who was already passed and and, uh, but God uh, allowed that pregnancy to continue and that uh, the other twin, and they were extremely hopeful. The other twin seemed to be doing very well. There was, they were concerned about the size of the baby and the weight of the baby. And at one point, the doctor said, now, uh, if, if on this next appointment, if the baby doesn't, uh, its estimated weight does not increase, then we'll probably go ahead and take the baby prematurely. And, uh, but on the next visit, the weight was back up and and the fear was assuaged, and they looked forward to a due date just three weeks away. They had been busy on the route all day on Sunday and, and, and teaching Sunday school, running the junior department and so forth. And it wasn't until she laid down after church on Sunday night, and it dawned on her, you know, it's been a while since I felt her. And she lay there hoping and praying finally drifted off to sleep and woke up the next morning, the immediate thought in her mind, I still haven't felt her. I still haven't felt her. And three weeks before her due date, she went to see the doctor. And sure enough, the twin was gone. They were able, she was able through, uh, through a cesarean. Uh, the baby, of course, was still born. But they were able, Mike and Rebecca were able to keep, uh, uh, keep her there in the room with her, little Julia. And my brother-in-law, he called. I missed his calls in a meeting, and so I called him back. And as soon as he answered the phone, I knew by his voice something was wrong. And I, uh, I said, Mike, what is it? And he said, Julia's gone. And my heart 
broke for them, of course. The next morning, I rode up to the hospital in Winston-Salem. I'll show you how life turns sometime. This time, my sister was the one in the bed, and now it's my little niece. They were able to keep Julie in the room with them for most of the day. And uh, what a bonding time, what a beautiful time of grieving and be able to grieve and, and even begin to heal. And I was there in the room. She said, John, would you like to hold her? I said, I would. I would. And I held her for a while. Thought about all those years before. Hurt with my sister. The disappointment. The disappointment. I believe... This story is a story about disappointment. You know, our God is an incredibly thoughtful God. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and you'll not need to turn to it, but we read in Deuteronomy chapter 20, the officer shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. The same was true for a man who planted a vineyard and a man who was betrothed to a wife. If a man was newly married, engaged to be married, newly married, and he was in the military and called up to war, the Bible says uh, he needs to stay home for a year. If a man had planted a vineyard, now I don't have, I don't have vines, I've got a garden, I like to garden, and uh, I don't have vines, but I'm, I'm sure like any fruit-bearing tree, for example, that it takes time to get the ground ready and takes time to put the seeds in the ground, takes time for those vines to come up, and then they have to be trained and so forth. And I don't know how many years it would be before you got fruit, but God said this. He said, if you're in the military and you've planted a vineyard and it hasn't borne fruit yet, then you stay home for a year and enjoy the fruit of your vineyard, enjoy the fruit of your labor. The other was if you built a new house. If you built a new house and, 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 and you're called up to military service, uh, don't go off to war, but stay there. Enjoy the house. What a, what a, what a, what a thoughtful God. You know, here's a man, and, and, he, and he's worked hard, and he's built his home, and now he finally gets to move into it and enjoy it. And then he gets called off to battle and gets killed, and, and his wife never gets to enjoy the house with her husband. And God, God, God's a thoughtful God. I was talking to Dr. Larry Brown today on the phone, and his wife, Miss Rhonda, I have such admiration and appreciation for her, of course, uh, both of them, he was a widower and she was a widow, both of their mates in, in service, Christian service with them. But Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Rhonda Brown, before her first husband went to be with the Lord, l imagine this, if you will, uh, drove 50 miles one way for 25 years, one way each day, five days a week to teach, to, to teach, to volunteer to teach in a Christian school. 50 miles, one way, five days a week, 25 years. They, her and her husband uh, reared their children. Her children are serving the Lord. And, and, but, but they, for all those years, never owned a home. And God finally arranged it and gave them a, a piece of land. And they had, I think it was a, a prefab home that was to be brought in. And they were excited to live there. And they brought the home in. They were setting the home up. They were finishing up the punch list. Next week, they would move into the house. And before they could move into the house, her husband had a heart attack and died. And she never lived in it the first day. Disappointment. Disappointment. Now, before we can give the truths I want to give you in this story, we've got to answer a question. 
did Jephthah actually kill his daughter? Now, I at one time, if you'd asked me that a few years ago, I'd say, you know, I don't know. I have an opinion about it, but, uh, but I don't know. But in preparation, actually, for this message the Lord gave me a year or so ago, I studied, and I, I believe I have an answer. I believe I know that Jephthah did not actually sacrifice his daughter. Now, I would not stake my salvation on that. I would stake Brother Lapina's salvation on it, not mine. But I want to show you why I believe that. Did he actually sacrifice his daughter's life? I don't believe he did. First of all, it does not explicitly say so in the text. Nowhere in the text does it say that Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter. What it does tell us there in, in Judges 11 and verse 37, she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and be well my virginity, I and my fellows. We don't find anyone in the passage bewailing her death. They bewailed the fact that she would remain a virgin, that she would never marry. I further believe that no sincere priest of God would have participated in human sacrifice since it was clearly forbidden. And I do believe that God made provision for rash vows. You remember King Saul made a rash vow in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 through 46. He made a vash row. A, a, a vash row. How about that? Pardon me, I get my tongue tangled sometimes. But, but, but he made a rash vow, and, 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 and the men, his men said, no, no, and it, it, would, it would require him to kill his own son. And the men said, no, no, you're not going to do that. And uh, so even, even uh, the Bible speaks about in, in Exodus 38, I believe, would have given uh, biblical relief uh, uh, to uh, Jephthah from his vow. Uh, for example, in Leviticus chapter 27, the last chapter of Leviticus uh, is not in chronological order. It's like an addendum. Uh, to a book, and, and it's not in chronological order, but it deals specifically, Leviticus 27, with voluntary vows. Uh, you, you voluntarily made a promise, a commitment, a vow to the Lord, and it deals with that. And, and in, uh, in uh, Leviticus 27, for example, the Bible said, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When a man shall make a singular vow, the persons shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. And thy estimation shall be of the male from 20 years old, even unto 60 years old, even unto thy estimation shall be 50 shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary. If it be of a female, then thy estimation shall be 30 shekels. So the, the, the passage deals with voluntary vows concerning people, animals, houses, and land. All right? So let's say that uh, 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 you, uh, uh, I want to give to the building fund. I want to give to the building fund. And, uh, and uh, uh, let's see, uh, anybody here have a teenage son? Anybody close to here? Anybody have a teenage son at home? Raise your hand if you've got a teenage son. Is there any, any teenagers in this church? All right, thank you, sir. All right. Is he with you? Right there. What's his name? Luke. All right. Luke, how old are you? 18. Dad, uh, give me your name. I'm sorry. Daniel. 
All right, let's say Brother Daniel said, you know what? Uh, 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 and he said, uh, he said, Brother Shook, I heard about that building program you got down there, and I want to give, and God touched my heart, and I have decided uh, to give my son Luke to the building fund. What I would say is, uh, no, thank you, Brother Daniel. <laughs> but I will take the cash equivalent to Luke. And the Bible actually gives a cash equivalent to the value if a person gave their kid away. How many of you are like, wow, I could make my building fund commitment and get rid of my kid? Sign me. No, not both. <laughs> but but here, here, here's what happened. The Bible said a male uh, that was uh, a, a, a newborn male uh, 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 or female uh, from age uh, one month up to age five, a male was worth five shekels, a little girl was worth three shekels. Sorry, ladies, it's Bible. <laughs> age five to 20, the male was worth 20 shekels and the female 10 shekels. And age 20 to 60, the male was worth 50 shekels, the female was worth 30 shekels. So I, I, I extrapolate from that, that there would have been a way consistent with the law of God for him to redeem his daughter and and, 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 and perhaps he understood that, perhaps he did not, I don't know, but it's in the Bible nonetheless. Putting all those things together, I, I am convinced that with the alternate provision for voluntary vows and rash vows, and by the language of the text, the things that it does not say and the things that it does say, I believe that Jephthah did not sacrifice his daughter. Though she would not die, she would, however, remain a virgin all of her life and never marry. She would never know the joys of motherhood and the honor of perpetuating her father's name. Remarkably, his daughter makes no protest when dad comes home. She immediately responds to his rash vow in full surrender. What should have been a moment of great joy and reunion became the moment of perhaps the greatest disappointment of her life. The moment her entire future changed. The Bible tells us over here in verse 34, we read it a moment ago, that Jephthah came to his house and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. Sitting over here in our auditorium is Brother Billy Andrews and his wife Carolina and their three daughters. Three times Brother Billy has gone to the Middle East and fought for our country. Nine times uh, he's been blown up. It's a miracle that he's alive. He lives with pain every day. He has constant ringing in his ears 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He has to sleep with white noise and a fan on. And, and, and uh, he serves in the, uh, 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 as a police officer. But, you know, you know uh, when, when Brother Billy comes home from war, the reunion, the reunion of, of wife and daughters, what a joyous occasion. And could you imagine Jephthah's daughter, she had prepared. She's going to see her daddy. Her daddy's been away, and she's going to see her dad. And, and she even, the Bible said she eats timbrels, and she wrote a song. Daddy's home from war. Daddy's home from war. Daddy, I love dad. I don't know what her song was, but she had one prepared. 
And here comes dad as she sees him across the way. And she gets she comes out of the house. Daddy, Dimbles, daddy's home from war. Daddy's home from war. And daddy sees her. Instead of run, instead of running to embrace her, he looks at her. His face falls. His lips quiver as he realizes the impact of his rash vow. Alas, alas, my daughter, as he rends his clothes, thou hast brought me very low. Thou art one of them that troubled me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. And I cannot go back. Now, I understand that the dialogue that we read here in Scripture does not fully encompass the conversation, perhaps, that passed between them. But in the historical chronological order of the Bible, she does not even yet know what the vow is. He has simply rent his clothes. She knows it's serious because what should have been a, a, a union of jubilation, a dad came home to his only daughter and arms around his neck and no doubt hugs and kisses and, and rejoicing and weeping. You made it. You're okay. Oh, and God gave you, oh, wonderful dad. Instead, a traumatic scene becomes a time of weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, for my daughter and rending of the clothes. And she understands by his body language and his words, the seriousness, sobriety of the vow that he's made. And he, without even telling her, said, I have made a promise to the Lord, my daughter. I'm so sorry, but I must keep it. And she says, my father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. That is stunning. To so readily submit to what would be no doubt the greatest disappointment of her life. Jephthah's vow was certainly rash, yet sincere. He is recognized in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. The Bible says in the text here in verse 29 of chapter 11 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Jephthah was a sincere man. Jephthah at this point in his life was a, was a spirit-filled man. If you know the story, Jephthah was the son of a harlot. He grew up in a house as a half-brother and he was never accepted by his siblings. Eventually they kicked him out of the house and he went his way. He gathered to him, the Bible said, vain men. He was one of those men, uh, kind of like David, when, 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 when he had to flee for his life. And people that were in trouble kind of migrated to them. And, and Jephthah helped them. He was a leader of men. And people were naturally drawn to him. And when his brethren in the nation were in trouble because of the, uh, of the Ammonites who were attacking them, they said, we need a leader. We need somebody to help us. And, and they thought of Jephthah. And they called Jephthah and said, Jephthah, will you help us? And Jephthah said, uh, yeah, but who's going to lead you when this? is over. They said, you be our leader. He said, you want to vow to that? They said, yeah. They actually went to Mizpah, which was the location of the tabernacle at the time where vows were made. And they made that vow together with the elders uh, 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 and, 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 uh, and Jephthah that he would lead them after the battle was over. Jephthah, no doubt, wanted something better for his daughter. 
He had been ill-treated and ill-received as a boy. No doubt he had mused often of that time, and no doubt he long ago determined that when he had a child, he would never treat his child in the way that he'd been treated. And yet in the moment of his rash decision, he was unwittingly altering the course of his only child's life. There's some lessons here for us. I want to show you Jephthah's daughter's response. If you haven't yet done so, I would really like for you to open your Bible to our text. And in the verses, I would like to ask you to write a word next to some verses. In verse number 36, the Bible said in her response, she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. I'd like to ask you to write down next to that verse the word acceptance. What is the proper response to disappointment? Number one, acceptance. David in Psalm 77.10 made this statement, This is my infirmity. This is my infirmity. I'm sure many of you know of Dr. Tom Souter, and I uh, first heard of him through our mutual friend, Dr. Marvin Smith, and, and I purchased the book, The Whole of No Hope, after I heard Dr. Smith teach, and I bought those books and given those books out and encouraged our people to read the books. And Dr. Souter went through an incredibly traumatic time and just... An awful, awful Saturday morning in a prayer meeting with his deacons and a, a shot rang out and then another shot inside of his household. And that day he lost both his wife and his daughter in the same tragedy. He went through a deep trial himself and from that God gave him the truths that are found in that book, The Whole of No Hope. But the premise of the book is this, is that it, it, one, of the, one of the great truths of the book is this, is that when you find yourself in a, in a hole of no hope, a place where uh, uh, you might call it depression or whatever you may call it, but a place where, that's dark and a place of disappointment, life hasn't gone the way you thought it would go, uh, a great Pain came into your life. Great disappointment came into your life. Great hurt came into your life. Great betrayal came into your life. And you feel like uh, you're, you're, you're in a hole. And what happens is this. When you do not understand, when you do not accept what has happened in your life, what you're doing, you, you dig the hole a little deeper. You dig the hole a little deeper. And you, and you dig the hole till you can't get out. And the first, the first step to getting out of the hole, stop, stop digging it deeper. And every time you say, I, I, I just, I can't believe this. I, I can't, I can't, can't believe that was my friend. I can't believe they said that about me. I just cannot accept that they would betray me like that. I was afraid. How could they do that? How could they do that? And you continue to dig the hole deeper and deeper. And when you come to a place and a hurt in your life and a disappointment that you cannot and will not except as the reality of your life, you find yourself in a place you cannot win. How can you overcome a hurt you cannot accept? You refuse to accept. You say it's too painful. Not as painful as the pain you'll endure by carrying that for the rest of your life and not finding the hope that you have available to you. This 
is my infirmity. In essence, she says in those words, this is my lot in life. There's another word at the end of verse 36. She says this, the verse again, my father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much, now watch this, the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. Let me use a different voice inflection to try to help you understand it. Dad, I accept what you've promised to the Lord. Do to me according to the promise you've made. After all, Dad, God did let you whoop up on your enemies. Did you see that? The Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies. You, you know what? You, write this down next to that phrase. Gratitude. Gratitude. She receives this incredible disappointment with such grace and humility. And she says, Dad, Dad I, I, I accept it. I, I didn't think my life would go this way. But you made a vow, and I respect your relationship to the Lord. And, 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 I, I, and yes, I accept it, and I submit to that. And you know, Dad, we, we, we can't thank the Lord because he did give you the victory. He, he, you made the promise, and you'd keep it if he gave, and he gave you the victory. And that's something good, right, Dad? What? An incredible spirit. Verse 37, she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. Again, not, not her death, but her virginity. Bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. Verse 39, and it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father. Next to that phrase, I encourage you to write down the word contentment. Contentment. She said, well, okay. I know what my lot is. She said, Dad, would it, would it be all right with you if me and my, my fellows, the Bible word, you would say, you and I would say, my girlfriends, we don't know how old Jephthah's daughter was, but obviously she was of the age to marry because they would be well the fact that she would never marry. I would assume maybe she was an older teenager, maybe a young adult in her 20s. We don't know for sure. But she had some buddies, she had some fellows, she had some girlfriends, and they were sad for her because her prospects had changed in just a moment of time. And so she said, Dad, would it be all right with you if me and my girlfriends, you know that spot up there on the mountain, we like to go up, it's so beautiful, the view's just amazing. Maybe we could go up there and we could just, just stay for a couple months, Dad, and I could enjoy some time with my girlfriends, and I understand what my duty is, and and, and, and I'll do it. And, but if I could have the time, and Dad said, sweetheart, that'd be fine. You go, go take two months and spend some time with your friends. And those two months were over. The Bible simply says she returned unto her father. 
The epistle says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I submit to you, dear church family, tonight, contentment is a decision. It is a, a decision. And, you know, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to pass this test. You can learn by God's grace to be content. And I believe that when disappointment comes and your life takes an unexpected turn, perhaps a death, perhaps a betrayal, perhaps a reversal, perhaps the loss of a home and a job of many years, perhaps someone turned upon you, perhaps your prospects change, your future course is dramatically changed. Our example here is accept it, be grateful, and be content. But I want to show you one more, and it's my favorite. And I'm getting excited, and I haven't even told you yet. Would you look with me at verse 39? And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And look what it said, again, emphasizing the fact that she would never marry. She knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel. Now, you'll notice a comma after the word Israel, connecting it to verse 40. So that last sentence is part of the complete thought of verse 40. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Next to verse number 40, I want you to write this. I want you to write the word faith. The word faith. David said in Psalm 119, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. The famous words of Joseph ring in harmony with this amazing faith found in this young lady. As for you, you meant it for evil. You tried to hurt me. It was your intent. It was not an accident. You meant to hurt me and do me wrong. You meant it for evil, but, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. Paul said in Romans 8, and we know one thing. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Who are these men? Men who face great tragedy and disappointment and pain, but by faith believed it to be used of God and trusted God, and God did in fact use their pain to help so many, many, many others. Can I tell you what I believe happened? The Bible tells us there that they went up on the mountains to bewail her virginity. The Bible said something became a custom, that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament. Will you give me a little liberty with the Scripture and let me read between the lines and conjecture what I, I think may have happened? Jephthah's daughter accepts her new way of life. She keeps a grateful heart for what God has done for her father and for her nation. She accepts this as her new lot, but that's not all. 
I believe she trusted God to take her disappointment and use it to be a blessing to others. For those two months, her and her girlfriends went up to the mountain. Now, as you can imagine at any ladies' gathering, there was a lot of crying going on. Right? Amen. No, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know we were going to, oh, and our kids were going to play ball together. And so there was a lot of tears. But those, those girls were there to help her and encourage her. And for two months, they fellowshiped, and, and soon she would go. He said, Pastor, where do you think she went, and what did she do? Well, twice, the Bible says, speaks of the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle. Now, I don't know for sure, but that little hint in Scripture makes me think that she was like, I'm sure, the army of ladies that are in this ministry and the number of ladies that are in our ministry. Some of the finest, finest servants and workers and staff members in our ministry are single ladies who've come to our ministry, or perhaps some of them, some of them grew up in our ministry. God hasn't chosen yet to, to give them a mate, but they are so dedicated, soul winners, love the Lord, pour their lives into people, do their work, do it with honor, do it with integrity. And I promise you, I don't know where Bailey's Grove Baptist Church would be without that group of ladies, who, who, single ladies, who give their life and heart to the ministry. I believe that is what happened to Jephthah's daughter. I believe every day she was one of those women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle, said, I'm here to serve. And there was work to be done. And she was there, busy for the Lord. She would never date. She would never marry. She would never bear children. She would never enjoy the life that she had once dreamed about as a young lady. This was her new, her new lot in life. And she was sad because of the disappointment. But I believe as she busies herself for the Lord, she said, you know, it's such a disappointment. I'm sure she probably struggled some. I, I just never imagined my life would go this way. I think one day God said to her, you know, you could use this for good. Maybe one of her girlfriends came by the tabernacle and said, how you doing? How you doing, Jephthah's daughter? I'm, I'm okay. You know, it's going to be the one-year anniversary since your dad's vow. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get together and go back up to the mountain again. We can't stay two months this time, but we can stay four days maybe. Hey, that's a great idea. Let me ask the priest if I can have some time off. And those ladies went back up to the mountain. And they enjoyed some fellowship together. And they cried together. Probably counseled with each other. I'm sure they prayed together. When they got done, they were so refreshed in their spirit, they said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to do this next year. And those girls got together, went up to the mountain retreat. Somebody brought the food. Uh, somebody brought the bedding. And they went up there and enjoyed the view and just praised and worshiped the Lord and, 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 and enjoyed the fellowship and cried a little bit together and prayed together and probably counseled together. They said, let's do it again. Let's just do it every year. They said, you want to? You, want, you think your husband will let you? I think so. Four days. Yeah, I believe he can live without me. Four doors. I don't know if he, he might die of starvation, but I think we could do it. And then one day, one of those girls came up there, and her belly's pooched out, and Jephthah's daughter's up there. Oh, you have some news. And they cried, and they laughed, and they enjoyed each other. And one day, I'm sure one of those mothers whose belly was pooched out came back with a saddened face. What is it? I lost my baby. Oh, you lost your baby. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I know, I know Jephthah's daughter, I know you know something about disappointment. Jephthah's daughter says, you know, 
I never imagined I'd go through what I went through. But I want to testify to you that God's grace is sufficient. And I love serving the Lord. And though it wasn't what I was expecting, and though sometimes I do linger a little bit with disappointment, I'm so grateful. God's been so good to me. I get to do something with my life. And though I'll never marry and never have children, I get to spend more time in prayer. And I get to help the work of God. And I'm sorry for your loss, but I know God can help you. And maybe the next year, another girl in town who didn't really know Jephthah's daughter, but she had a loss too. And one of those ladies said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go with them. And next month, we're going up to the mountain, me and our girlfriends. And let me tell you something. That Jephthah's daughter, now she's got her a testimony. And when she talks to you, she knows God. She prays. You let her talk to you and count you, and she can help you. And I don't know how big that, I think maybe we had the first ladies meeting in the Bible right here in Judges chapter 11. And I believe what happened. It's Jephthah's daughter took the pain and the disappointment. And by God's grace, she used it to help others. And you know, it went so well. Read the text. It went so well. Guess what? They kept it going after she died. After she died, they still went to the mountain. After she died... Later on, I, I don't know, they, probably some of those ladies' children and daughters and maybe even some of their granddaughters came and, and, and it was the Jephthah's Daughter Memorial Ladies' Conference. And once a year, a group of ladies would get together and rejoice that God's grace is sufficient. Here's some lessons. Everybody needs somebody to hurt with them. Yeah, I need somebody to hurt with me. No, no, you missed the point. Somebody needs you to hurt with them. You do that, God will send somebody to hurt with you. Here's another lesson. No one ought to wallow in the pain of disappointment. Not lightning. I'm not trying to lighten the pain of disappointment. I'm not trying to minimize the pain of disappointment. But nobody ought to wallow in it. Nobody ought to stay in a hole of no hope. Here's a final lesson and my final thought. If we mishandle our disappointments, we can cause unspeakable pain for generations to come. I want you to hearken back with me to 740 years before this incident. Jephthah lived in 1150 B.C. In 1890 B.C., God judged two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels came and had to grab Lot and his two unmarried daughters and his wife by the hands to get them out of the city. His married daughters and sons-in-law laughed and mocked at him. On the way out, his wife turned back to look and was turned to a pillar of salt, and Lot escaped with his two unmarried daughters. You know the sordid story that follows. Those girls said, everything we know is gone. Our prospects are gone. We'll never marry. We'll never have a chance to have children. We'll not be able to carry on our father's name. And in their sickened minds, they caused their father to be drunken. And in consecutive nights, two illegitimate children were born from a union of incest. One of those boys was named Ammon, whose descendants would be the very people that Jephthah was fighting and because of whom a rash vow was made and a young lady's life turned upside down. 
how you handle your disappointments will affect generations to come.